Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii. My name is Michael Benner. Today's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School is going to be about grief, loss, and mourning. This is a subject that uh, is painful and therefore a subject that's easily avoided in our daily lives. Uh, not too many people bring it up as a subject of conversation unless they absolutely have to. You know, it's not polite to talk about this. And so most of us find it really, really difficult. Uh, as children, um, many families exclude us from funerals and make it even more difficult, uh, more mysterious, and later in life more difficult and harder to understand because we're not exposed to it. I, I think it's a good idea to expose children to funerals. One of the most important things I can say to you at the top of the program about grief and loss and mourning, about the death of loved ones, is that death is less about an end to life than it is a part of life. And I say that as somebody who believes in life eternal, uh, in reincarnation here as well, but it even if I had no belief in reincarnation and thought we had only one crack at it, um, it's, it's how you live your life that's important. And the best eulogies and the best funeral ceremonies are usually called celebrations of life. Nobody's going to celebrate death, and you'd rather go to a celebration than... Uh, than the, the kind of uh, dirge that might be uh, devoid of any kind of, uh, of party atmosphere. Um, each culture, well, I should be careful, many cultures, I'll say it this way, many cultures um, had traditions, like the Irish wake, for example, where there is a celebration of life that's built into the morning. Um, where it's not uncommon for people to get together and, and not only eat and drink, but to laugh and tell jokes and stories about uh, the person that's just died. And yet, in, in the midst of that, there's going to be um, the, the crying, the, the, um, the deep pain, the loss, I think we can do that. In fact, I know we can do that more elegantly and more gracefully and more effectively. And that's essentially why I wanted to do the program today. Um, often you'll hear people suggest that you see a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist uh, to aid you in grieving. The last thing I would do is recommend that you go to a psychiatrist because the first thing they're going to do is start writing in most cases, prescription drugs. Uh, not all psychiatrists do that, but a psychiatrist is a medical doctor first, and that's what they're used to doing. Um, they're usually not strong in the counseling, but quick to write prescriptions for drugs that can be habit-forming and, and quite dangerous, and you can get on a whole cycle of drug addiction by using so-called medicines or drugs to aid you in the grieving process. So avoid that altogether. 
if you feel you're having a problem with your grieving, if it goes on for more than a year, if uh, severe grieving and depression and feelings of guilt continue for more than a few months, then you may want to seek the aid of some sort of counselor. It could be a spiritual counselor or someone at your church, temple, synagogue, or mosque. It could be um, a person who is not associated or affiliated with any particular religion, but nevertheless holds themselves out as a spiritual counselor. Uh, marriage, family, and child therapists, MFCTs, um, sometimes in some states called MFCCs, child, marriage, family, child counselors or, or therapists, uh, social workers, a licensed clinical social worker, LCSWs, uh, often will specialize and have experience and skill in, in guiding you through these difficult times. Also, don't overlook the value of friends at a difficult time like this when someone you when when you've lost someone that you love um, again could 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 be a pet <laughs> as, as well as a human being uh, I think sometimes we're caught off guard by the uh, the depth of feeling that we have the depth of loss and, and the pain that we have losing a pet and um, it's nothing you can prepare for any more than you can really prepare for the death of a human being or whatever preparations you might take are I think minimal in their impact it's not until we really find ourselves in the the depth of the grief that we can apply the tools and techniques and attitudes and and systems that we're going to talk about today. You've really, really, really got to wait until you find yourself in the midst of it to say, wait a minute, I have some tools. In addition to my regular meditation, I mean, presumably if you listen to a program like this, you're already meditating regularly, all right? And if not once a day or so, uh, you know that you have it available to you when you need it. I think many more people meditate when they feel they need to meditate. Okay, most people, of course, don't because it feels so awkward to sit quietly. It's so frightening, frankly, for most people to sit quietly. The resistance to sitting quietly uh, is extraordinary. And you know, if you just reflect upon yourself sometime, why am I resistant? to being alone with my thoughts and my feelings. Uh, why am I afraid, or at least resistant or hesitant, uh, to ask questions of myself about why I believe the things I believe, and why I feel the way I feel? It's terrifying for most of us. But if you have a little experience doing that when things are good in your life, and it's more likely you'll be able to pull on meditation and mindfulness when you find that somebody that you love has died or dying. And we will talk a little about the classical seven stages of grief uh, today as well. But I think I think the, the most important thing that I can say to you about managing any kind of pain, and if we were doing a program today on physical pain, from physical injury or illness, 
I, I'd probably start in pretty much the same place. Today, grief, loss, mourning, we're talking about emotional pain, and yet the process for managing it is the same. And that's to feel it fully and completely. Anytime we try to cash away our emotional pain, to push it away, to um, repress it, suppress it, oppress it, ignore it or deny it, gird our loins and insist, I'm doing fine, I'll be okay, don't worry about me. Uh, we are going to prolong our suffering. We're going to suffer more, and we'll suffer uh, in unnatural ways. Those who grieve well, listen clearly. Those who grieve well, who mourn, dare I say, elegantly, as if a, 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 a tearful a, a waltz, rather than a hysterical crawling and scraping and dragging yourself through a period of mourning. The people who grieve well are those who feel the feelings, terrifying though they may be, painful though they may be, fully and completely. We hear much in the spiritual community about unconditional love. We need to hear more about unconditional feeling all of your feelings. <laughs> That's really part of what unconditional love means, is to be unconditional in feeling everything. And when you do, there is a certain grace or elegance or completeness um, uh, we we tend to fall into a groove. It seems to be a natural process. Again, with physical pain or emotional pain, and the biggest block to healing physically or to healing your heart emotionally is pain. The, the best thing you can do to heal yourself is manage pain. And again, I'll mention the parallel one more time because we've done and will do other programs on physical pain management and accelerating physical healing of injury or illness. But I'm talking primarily today about emotional pain management, and yet the allegory is clear. The parallel is a strong one. You must feel it fully and completely. You must feel it to heal it. You must feel it to heal it. All right. That's the, the quickie axiom that's often used in the field. And so if you ignore it or, or deny it or suppress it, cash it away somehow, or cover it up with alcohol and drugs, or you just get busy with work and bury yourself in your work, you're not doing yourself any favors. Not only do you prolong the suffering, but there is a numbness 
a psychic, emotional insensitivity that goes along with repressing, that is, refusing to express, refusing to feel fully and explore and then express your emotions. When you don't do that, when instead you repress or suppress, consciously or unconsciously, the feelings, resist them, cash them away. You not only prolong the suffering, hear me clearly, you increase the amount of suffering and you impose upon yourself a psychic numbness that minimizes the chance you'll ever feel happy. You know, one of the important lessons to learn in grief and loss is that we cannot be selective in the way we, we, we repress feelings. We cannot have any great success at an attempt to ignore, deny, or suppress negative feelings and then only let the positive feelings through. Well, I want to feel all the happiness and joy and peace of mind that's available when I'm in that mood, so to speak, or in that place in my life. Let all that sunshine and warmth come on in. But if my moods swing toward the negative, then I'm going to shut down. That doesn't work. The degree to which you shut down on any feeling is the degree to which you have shut down on all feelings. And so now you look at your positive feelings and you say, well, I can be happy, but I'm never really all that happy. Well, sometimes I feel sort of content, but no, I've never really felt washed over by waves of contentment. And I know I'm, sport, uh, I, I know I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, thankful and, and grateful for all that I have in my life, but Sometimes I have a hard time feeling that. Maybe it's because you're refusing to feel the pain in your life and the loss and the hurt and the depression and the fears and the anxieties. You're refusing to feel those, refusing to explore the negative because it hurts. I know it hurts. Who wants to go there? But when you push away the hurt, you push away all of the positive feelings as well. A filter is a filter is a filter. So unconditional love means if I want all the contentment and peace of mind and happiness and joy and, and, and love that's available to me, I've got to feel all of my feelings fully and completely, without reservation, without condition. It means I must face my fear and my pain and not only tolerate it, but move into it. Let it come upon me. Let it take me over. Allow my grief to consume me. You hear what I'm saying? Do you know what great courage it takes to allow yourself to be consumed by grief? swallowed up, whole. You know, like some giant snake choking down a prey that's a little too big and 
<laughs> you, you always hear those stories. Uh, you don't have to do that. The, the 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 amazing thing about allowing yourself to be consumed, so-called, by pain and, and emotional suffering, even the physical pain that I'm alluding to here, is that you go out the other side by feeling it fully and completely the message is delivered. By feeling your pain, your, uh, your emotional discomfort fully and completely, the message is delivered and you move through the process out the other side and carry with you a quality of fearless love that nobody will ever be able to take away from you. You see, sometimes our hearts become concretized. We become too hard-hearted. Our emotional nature becomes fixed or crystallized. And it can't grow. It stops growing. It's too hard, crystallized, or concretized to grow anymore. Well, you live in a universe of growth as a being of growth. So guess what's going to happen? Like you can pave over Mother Nature, but pretty soon you'll see grass growing between the cracks in the sidewalk, right? Sooner or later, nature is going to reclaim it. And when you allow yourself to feel your pain fully and completely, you have an opportunity to learn everything that you're supposed to learn and it's through the broken heart that you grow your heart, that your heart expands. And once you've gone through a period of grief and loss and mourning, hopefully as elegantly and gracefully as possible, your heart is now bigger. It was broken. It was shattered. It went to pieces. But you did not fall apart. The nice Zen book, I think it's by Epstein, uh, going to pieces without falling apart. When I say allow yourself to be consumed by your grief and feel it fully and completely, I'm saying go to pieces, allow your heart to be broken. It needs breaking. It's become too concretized, too rigid. It stopped growing. And if this is the only way that your heart can grow or one way that the universe can ensure that you will grow by breaking a heart that gets too crystallized, so be it. And sure enough, on the other side, whether you do it poorly or do it well, sooner or later, you come together with a capacity to love more. And the next time there is grief and loss and mourning in your family, in your life, in your community, having gone through it, you'll be more inclined to be of service, to be able to help out. When other people drop off the casserole and split, 
you know. I often advise people when I do counseling around grief and loss that your friends are probably or may uh, may not have to choose your words carefully even though may not always be available to you because death is so frightening. So again, they'll drop off the casserole, but they won't even come back for the dish. They're they're gone. They're not there for you. They're home telling themselves that what you need is alone time. When what you need is for somebody to hold you and listen to you. That was another point I started to make a few moments ago and, and, and got off track. See your friends and family, those who are willing to listen without needing to teach you, without judging you, without counseling you, without knowing what to do or say. Just listen. You know, in these awkward situations when you don't know what to do or say, you don't have to do or say anything. You just say, I'm sorry if there's anything I can do to help you. And then uh, look, depending on the nature of the relationship, look around and see what needs to be done. Maybe you could drop off a bag of groceries in a day or two. Maybe you can collect those casserole dishes <laughs> from the wake and return them, right? Maybe you can check in on this person. And then, you know, the, the benefits and the rewards of doing that are extraordinary for you. Plus, the next time you're in a situation like that, you're more likely to have a family or a community that can help you. We become fearless with every loss, with every period of mourning that we go through, feeling as fully and completely as possible, almost as if we would be consumed by the pain. Feeling it fully, we move through it more effectively, more efficiently, with more profound understanding, insight, realization of who we are in our relationship to life, of life's value, how precious it really is. And so much less likely than in the future to be intimidated by death. It's a horrible thing to be intimidated by death and a liberating thing to be able to stand in its face when so few people are able to do that, to stand up and do what needs to be done. You know, crying certainly is not a shameful thing. I don't know why we make such a big deal about it. I think because it represents some loss of control, we tend to feel ashamed. And, and of course, we're often stigmatized as children by parents who want us not to cry. They start feeling guilty. Men hate to see their wives and girlfriends crying at it's uh, almost like it's this unfair advantage. But, you know, there are tears. They don't stain your shirt. It's not going to wreck your clothes. Right? Big deal. What's what's with uh, all the, 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 the shame with disguising yourself? If you're going to cry, just stand up there and cry. Don't even wipe your eyes. Just cry. You know, I, let it out. Or certainly... If you're not able to do that, you don't want to make some big show in public, I understand. 
But the point is, when you get home, cry. If you can do that with people who you know love you and you feel loved by close to you, wonderful. They can be a big help just by listening to you. You know, as, almost as much as a, a professional counselor could be. You just want to be heard and understood, that's all. To talk about your feelings, to name the feeling, to talk about the feeling, to feel it fully and completely is to express it and get rid of it, to get over it and through it, don't you see? And to then accelerate the healing. Let's review the seven classical stages of grief. I don't even know who gets credit for this anymore. It's been in the literature for so long. Uh, I, I could probably find out with a Google search. I didn't bother to do that. Um, these are somewhat similar to Dr. Kubler-Ross's stages of death and dying, which are stages that the person dying goes through. The seven stages of grief are stages that uh, more or less agreed upon steps that we go through when we find out that someone that we love has died or is about to die. Okay, And so this is for the survivor, the seven stages of grief. This is for those of us who survived the death of our friends and family, so let's just review them. The first is shock and denial, as you might imagine. Um, you'll probably react to learning of the loss with numbed disbelief. Numb is a good word for it, that psychic numbing I talked about before. You may deny the reality of the loss at some level, hoping to avoid the pain. Uh, shock provides emotional protection from being overwhelmed all at once, and and this can last for weeks. I'm in shock, people will say. If you've ever been in a bad car accident, uh, even if you were not seriously injured, you might have had this strange, uh, otherworldly, almost out-of-body experience of uh, being in shock. Part of that is a very flat emotional affect. Um, and a numbness that you know you're having these powerful feelings, but sometimes it takes a couple of days before they begin to really come upon you. Initially, you're just sort of numb and in shock. Okay, And denial goes along with the sense of disbelief. Oh, this, this can't be true. It, it, it just can't be true. I, I can't. I'm having a hard time getting my brain around the idea that the world continues to revolve and spin around the sun, and this person is no longer here. I just, I just, it's difficult to to believe sometimes. The second stage of grief is usually called pain and guilt, and this comes as the shock begins to wear off, and we find the pain comes on. Again, you'll see the parallel to a physical illness. Uh, initially, you may not, you know, people have been shot by guns all the time. They bullets, they didn't even know they were shot uh, because of the, you know, the excitement and the high stimulus of the situation in which they were shot. And it wasn't 
until hours later that you realize, boy, oh, this really hurts. I wonder what happened. It's not that different with emotional pain. It might be two, three days later before you really start to feel the hurt of 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 the loss that your friend, your family member, uh, your pet, uh, you find out has died. Now, this pain can be almost unbearable. In many ways, emotional pain hurts as much or more than physical pain. It can be excruciating. It can feel like it's going to kill you, like uh, I said before, like it's going to consume me. It's going to swallow me up. It's important that you will acknowledge those feelings. If you don't feel them, fine. If you do feel them, acknowledge them. Remember, you cannot have a wrong feeling. You've inherited this process over millions of years, and we are the offspring of those who have survived and gone on. Right? So you're not that fragile. And again, any counselor will tell you, anyone worth their salt will tell you how important it is to experience fully and completely this emotional pain. Don't hide it. Don't try to escape from it with alcohol or drugs or deny it or avoid it in any way. You're just putting it off and making things worse. You may have guilty feelings or remorse over things you did or did not do with this loved one. Uh, life may at this point begin to feel really chaotic and, of course, uh, scary. And this can go on for days, more likely weeks and even months. There is a point where the hurt begins to turn into an anger. And sometimes we see this in the acceptance of, uh, of one's own death, the stages of dying that Kubler-Ross outlined, this anger and then bargaining with God. Um, frustration, the pain and guilt of the second phase, finally gives way in this third phase, this third stage of grief, uh, to some, some anger. And you might uh, act out that anger in inappropriate ways. You wonder why you're so on edge, why you're so grumpy, why you suddenly have such a short fuse, and you're angry inappropriately. It's this over here. You might not even recognize that it's the grief and loss that you're going through that's causing it. You may lay unwarranted blame for the death on someone else, right? You feel guilty and then you decide you're not guilty, but now somebody else has to be at fault or to blame. And even if the person is elderly and lived a rich, long, full life, we can still go through these stages of guilt. I should have done this differently. I remember back in the 50s when I said this and I could have done that, right? Or blaming others. This is all part of accepting the death. Now, uh, you might rail against fate. You might question the why me. You might also, this is the survivor guilt that we sometimes hear about, uh, when people survive traumas like concentration camps and such, people can experience that when their elderly parents die. They're why me? Well, because their 
elderly adults and you're middle-aged. That's why your time will come. But we're dealing with emotions. And quite often, emotions are not reasonable. An attempt to understand emotions with logic and rational thinking will often fail. So these kinds of questions, these logical, these attempts to understand logically why this is happening or why it's happening to you uh, often fail. The alternative is an intuitive understanding, which results again from sitting quietly with the discomfort and allowing yourself to feel it fully and completely. Then you get insight, intuitive uh, illumination, the aha experience, or a series of aha experiences where the light bulb seems to pop on and, oh, I understand why I feel that way. Oh, I just realized something about my relationship with the dearly departed that I never really understood clearly before. Wow, that's really fascinating. Well, that changes everything. And and so the intelligence of emotions, understanding your deep hurt and your pain, your negative emotions in particular, they're the ones that require positive emotions but really are positive because you've already understood them and, and under, maybe in a process of understanding them uh, further. But if they're positive, happiness, joy, and peace, and love, they represent understanding. All, all love and, and positive emotions have a relationship with understanding. It's, it's, it's fear and anxiety that supports everything that hurts emotionally. And though, uh, these are all symptoms of what we don't understand. So it makes sense to contemplate and reflect upon what hurts, what you don't understand, that you then intuitively begin to understand why it hurts and what it says about you. Okay. The fourth stage in most systems of grief and, and loss is the depression stage. This can include reflection and uh, feeling really lonely. Just when your friends maybe think you ought to be getting on with your life and you ought to get over it about now, and, and a long period of sad reflection is, in fact, just about to overtake you. Uh, this can start from a few months to, um, oh, six months, uh, nine months or more. It's, a, again, a normal stage of grief. So you don't want people to talk you out of anything. You know, you want to go through it. Remember I said you have to feel it to heal it? Well, another one of those cute little axioms that's really true is the only way out of emotional pain is through the emotional pain. The only way out is through. So if somebody tries to, quote, talk you out of it, <laughs> Here's a shortcut. Come out the side door with me. Give it up. Get over it. Let it go. you got to go on with your life. No, remind them you are moving through it, that the way out is to go through fully and completely. Uh, no diversions, no, uh, no side exits, no shortcuts. You're going to go right down the belly of your pain, right down the middle of it, in order to be free of it and healed by it 
and made better as a result in the end and do it most effectively when you feel it fully and completely. And so expect some depression, okay? Now, five is where we start to turn it around. The fifth stage of grief is when you is, is sometimes called the upward turn, the spiral up, and this is when you start to adjust to life without this person that you've lost. Your life becomes a little more calm, a little organized. Physical symptoms lessen. The depression begins to lift slightly. One of the things to understand about these middle stages where you start to turn things around as in this fifth stage is the understanding that there's another axiom. You've heard it said the universe or God never gives you more than you can handle. Well, I think that's true. Or because you can't handle it, you don't know it's been given to you. Maybe that's the situation. In any case, consequently, grief is going to come in waves, in periods, and in cycles. And as you move through the process of mourning, each of those waves is going to be uh, a little less than the one before it, not quite as big as the previous wave. They'll diminish. And the period between the waves might begin to get a little bit longer. But if you remember going through grief and loss, you'll remember, I'm sure, being surprised on a couple of occasions by the fact that just about the time you think you're getting over this, bang, you get hit with another wave and you're knocked off your feet, another wave of grief, another crying, Jack, another feeling of abandonment and loneliness, more loss. Uh, and, and, and this can be very discouraging if nobody informs you that that's common and that's typical. Again, the waves will slowly diminish and the periods between will slowly lengthen. But don't be surprised if even after you've begun to recover and made this upward turn, you're starting to realize, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on with my life. I'm going to move through this thing. I'm going to pull it together. Bang! All of a sudden you're on your back crying and incapable of doing anything for a day or two that that's not uncommon, all right? Grief comes in waves, little bits that you can't handle. And then the last couple of stages, number six, is reconstruction and working through, and as you become more functional, you know, you get back in your groove a bit, your mind starts working, and, and you find yourself seeking realistic solutions to problems posed by life without the person that you had relied on, the loved one, you'll start to work or um, to work on practical and financial problems and, and reconstructing yourself and your life without this person uh, in your life. You'll begin to reconstruct and move forward. And the last stage, of course, is the hopeful stage and, and the stage of complete acceptance. Seven is acceptance and hope. And as the last of the seven stages, 
This is where you learn to deal with the reality of the situation. You finally accepted the reality. It doesn't mean that you're going to be instantly happy or that there will be no more waves. It means you stop denying. And you accept that this person physically, as a form, as a being of form, physically, is no longer available to you in this life. And given the pain and the turmoil that you've been through, you're never going to go back. You're never going to return to the untroubled you that existed before all of this happened. But in many ways, you're going to discover a new and better you. One who can be more tolerant and more understanding of the suffering and the grief, more loving, and I guess the word I'm looking for is more compassionate, right? When you've gone through the death of someone that you love dearly, especially if you do it elegantly and gracefully, aware of these basic principles and concepts, you have a quality of love as compassion, a very high frequency, a very, very high frequency, uh, maybe the highest. <laughs> sort of giving your life for someone. Compassion is one of the highest forms of love we can speak of. And that, to some degree, can be available to you. Then when you see others suffering loss, you turn on the news and... Um, you know, here we are five years from Katrina, and uh, I still have a hard time thinking about those people down there. Uh, three days, four days, five days, uh, helicopters zooming all over, reporters able to get in and out, and yet uh, no water, no food, because we had an administration that wanted to prove that uh, big government doesn't work. And... The GOP proved that big government doesn't work if it's not willing to work. Uh, thousands more people died in Katrina than have been acknowledged. Uh, what you don't hear when the death tolls are announced at 1,700 or 1,800 people is that 6,000 are missing. And uh, presumably, not but the government doesn't assume that they're dead, but it's likely that as many as 7,000 or 8,000 people were killed. Uh, again, not initially by the storm, but by the negligence of the government. That's hard to handle. That's hard for people to accept. Lots of folks would just like to apologize for their leaders, Republican or Democrat, not hold them accountable, get defensive and make excuses for them. But as you become more loving and more compassionate, largely, I think, by learning to deal with great loss in your life, then you have a rapport with other people that are going through the same thing. And you're less likely to be able to just sit by and allow it to happen. You, you have to get involved. You're a better person as a result of having gone through the grieving and the loss. Now, one more thing I want to talk about, and then we'll go to your questions. You can begin to leave them now, if you'd like, in the text box, if you're on the web. You'll see it in the lower left. Be sure and put your first name, at least, and your city in there before you hit the Submit button. And do hit Submit, or I won't see it. 
If you don't see a text box, click on the button that says ask a question. You'll be able to type your comment or question in there. Or just say hello and let us know you're out there and where you happen to be. It's always fun to see where folks are. And if you're on the telephone, just press star 2 on the telephone touchpad. That raises your hand in my console, and I can unmute you one at a time that way. So star 2 on the telephone touchpad if you're on the telephone and, and want to ask your question live on the, uh, on the webinar uh, that way. Okay, so we'll do that in just a minute. I'd just like to talk about the fact that since this is a class for not only spiritual, but I mean not only personal, but also spiritual development, that we talk about the fact that the loss that we experience when somebody that we love dies is a loss of appearance only. You've heard people say that, uh, you know, you can't take it with you. See these bumper stickers that are supposed to be sarcastic or facetious. He who dies with the most toys wins. And yet the same person would admit, no, you can't really take it with you. So we put all this energy and effort into conspicuous consumption of stuff, buying stuff, often stuff, we don't need and can't afford to keep up with the Joneses. We've been talking about it for 50 years since the end of World War II, and we're still doing it. And yet we admit that we're moving toward a, a point of transition, a death, where we leave all that worldly stuff behind. If you think of yourself as a Christian, you may remember the words, uh, story riches in heaven and not on earth, where moth and rust doth not corrupt. And so it begs the question, what can you take with you when you die, or when someone you love dies? What can they take with you? What, they, what, can, they, what can they take with them? What will you be able to take with you when you leave all your toys behind upon death? And the answer, of course, is loving memories. For love never dies. Love is eternal. And love is infinite. And every love, every bit of love that you've ever experienced, that you've ever made, that you've ever witnessed, lives forever. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. You know, every, since the invention of the radio on Earth and later television and other forms of RF or radio frequency, those signals are traveling out into space. Every word ever spoken, every picture ever broadcast on television is continuing now, even now, to travel out into space. You know, the first I Love Lucy program or the first Mickey Mouse Club from the early 50s is, uh, what, 60 light years away. You even know where it is. 
<laughs> it's out there. Yes, it's dissipating. Yes. Um, at the rate of the uh, square of the inverse, it's it's dissipating, no question about it. But it it's all out there, the same total energy. So if you understand love or spirit, spirituality as spirit, as an energy, and love, another name for that energy, that is spirit. God is love. It cannot be created nor destroyed. There's your God principle. And you learned it in physics in the seventh grade. Conservation of mass and energy, you cannot create or destroy energy. You can change its form. Energy can even become matter, as in a soul incarnating into form. That matter can age or become injured and die. But the energy lives on. It's just basic physics. You don't need to be a religious person or a person of faith. You can be a person of empirical science to understand the immortality and the eternal nature of love. And think back now, reflect upon those you have loved who are no longer in form, who are no longer here. Was your love diminished? by the fact they died? Well, of course not. You might say, well, my ability to experience that love is diminished by the fact that they're not present. Oh, but my dear friend, they are present. If only you knew, if only you closed your eyes and took a slow, deep breath or two and uh, relaxed and turned your attention away from the illusion that is the physical world, turned away from sense and sensation. Watch your breath or look at the gaps between your thoughts and sit quietly as you contemplate, free from thinking, free from emotional turmoil, the quality of love that existed between you and the person you've lost, you will find that it's always there. It's still there. It's as strong as ever. It is the link that you will always have to this spiritual essence who is no longer separated by physical form, no longer isolated or trapped in a body no longer imprisoned in a world of separated forms where we must constantly reach out for connection to, to hold a hand, to get a hug, to feel an embrace that makes us, for a time, feel safe and secure. You don't need bodies to do that. In fact, freed from the body, freed from I like Sting's term, soul cage, <laughs> the prism of of the physical body. You're even closer to the love of that other person that'll never die, that never goes away. And again, have you ever had the you know the the dog or the kitty that you had as a, a child? 
can do a meditation on that creature and feel as much love for that animal as possible, as imaginable, as you ever have or ever did. And finally, and as mystics, we really have to remind ourselves of this, the love we feel is our love anyway. To love another person is to experience them in you and you in them, the harmony moving toward unity. In the Talmud it says we see the world not as it is, but as we are. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. What you love in the world is what you love in the world about you. You're the one that loves it. Other people love different things. What we love, who we love, that we love, how we love, why we love is all very personal, very intimate. Jacob Boma said it differently. He said what the self describes describes the self. What you despise in other people is more about you than other people. And what you love in other people is often more about you than other people. So love is not a commodity that we give each other, that we hand back and forth like we're bartering a bushel of apples for three chickens. Love is not handed over or given to. It's not traded. It's shared in a sense. But I'd like you to think of it more as an electromagnetic field in which two people sit. In the, in the book, The Little Prince, there's a reference to love being two people sitting together but not looking at each other. Rather, two people in love sitting together side by side looking in the same direction. That's love. See, It's not an exchange. It's two of us together luxuriating in a magnetic field of love, feeling safe experiencing the thoughtfulness and kindness of the other person. That never dies. That does not go away. And is always available as we experience the process. But it, it really requires, in most cases, that you turn your attention away from the physical world. Where we dwell when we're awake, at night when we sleep, we're unconscious. So maybe there's a place in the middle between the unconsciousness of sleep and the overstimulated consciousness filled with the distortions and the illusions and distractions of the physical world. Maybe there's a place in the middle where we could be awake and alert, but focused, narrow awake instead of wide awake and yes indeed that's what my business partner Steve Snyder and I call narrow awake or paradise thinking as in find yourself in paradise that's the name of our new podcast by the way we have a 
premium, as you know, a premium audio at focusedpassion.com. It's 99 cents a week. You can subscribe. Well, we put 10 of those programs on the Internet as a free podcast. So instead of getting a free account and downloading a handful of programs, you can just get this podcast. We call the podcast version sort of the best of Empower Yourself in Paradise. The premium program is Finding Yourself in Paradise, and Paradise is the meditation. It's the alpha brainwave level. It's the mindfulness of narrow awake between the unconsciousness of sleep and the overstimulation of wide awake. And it's easy to get to, and we do it every week at the end of these classes. Contemplation, introspection, reflection. Call it what you will. Spacing out, except it's more like spacing in with focused attention. But very similar to a daydreaming kind of a state. That's where you can come in touch with the infinite and eternal nature of love. In spite of the fact that the object of your love, or what you may think of as the source of your love, has died. If we see other people as the source of love, we're going to experience a lot more pain in our lives than if we understand the only source of love is the source of life. It's what religious people call God, what philosophers call the absolute, what many people call the creative force, the power behind the Big Bang the consciousness between spirit and matter. You know, Einstein put an equal sign between spirit and matter, but the third element is we're conscious. <laughs> you're aware of yourself. You're sentient. You need to add that third element to have an understanding of a universe that is filled with material forms as a reflection of this incredible energy of all frequencies. Yeah, there's energy, and yeah, there's mass. There's spirit, and there's matter. But add that middle element, which is the consciousness and the love that I'm describing, the embodiment of love. That's the soul, if you will, between spirit and matter, between energy and mass. And it is eternal and infinite just as energy and mass cannot be created nor destroyed. Basic stuff. Not a matter of belief. It's pretty empirically proven. Scientific method. <laughs> Repeatable and all of that. All right. Well, at that point, then let's go to our questions and uh, comments and see what folks have to say. Let me check the telephone lines. Uh, we have callers. I don't see any hands just yet, so let me go to the text Q&A and see what you folks have to say. Waiting for the page to refresh. Here we go. Uh, all right. First of all, Dale is with us in Burbank, and uh, Lisa, too, he says... Um, uh, Lisa and I have been listening to a series of talks by a Dharma teacher in Seattle named Rodney Smith. 
called Embracing Death as a Spiritual Path. And Dale says, really great talks, and um, he's got a link in here, but um, I can't read that whole link to you, so he's leaving it for me. I wish I could leave it for you guys. But maybe you could just Google Rodney Smith, Embracing Death as a Spiritual Path. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate that. Carl Postel is with us, of course, always out there in La Habra. And, uh, again this week, thank you, Carol. She says hi to Doreen as well. Phil Jaffe in Canoga Pike. Uh, <laughs> Canoga Pike. Canoga Park says hello. Uh, he says, I guarantee you I will listen to every single mystery school class from end to end. Well, thank you, Phil. Appreciate that. From London, England, Kate is with us, and she says, does the loss of a romantic connection involve the same stages of grief? Ah, what an excellent question. Yes, I would say yes. And uh, in many of the, I mean, loss is a loss, right? So if somebody just disappears on you or leaves you a Dear John letter or that horrible conversation about, I just want to be friends, or this isn't working out, or I think we should date other people, uh, they might as well die, right? The, the romance is dying. The relationship, it does feel the same in many cases. That would be one way of knowing that, you know, you really are in love with this person. The challenge is, how do I continue to love somebody who's unavailable to me? Do I really want to continue to love somebody who's abandoned me, who's leaving me, who may have said nasty, hurtful things and and insulted me? And sometimes people say nasty things just to get away from each other. They don't know that it's okay just to ask to leave. So they they create an affair or something to to, to get away. That's the challenge, but I think that's our job is to always continue to love as much as possible. Those that we have loved, we ought to be able to continue to love if we could but forgive them and then forgive ourselves for buying into our own guilt and our own embarrassment. Um, but it's largely a very personal thing, so it's nothing you have to talk about to a whole lot of people. Uh, to forgive people that have you know, bailed on us, hurt us, insulted us, cheated on us, lied to us, not easy. But whatever the nature of that romantic breakup, it, it, it can feel very much like the person is dead. They're dead to us. The relationship has died. And you'll often, people, you'll often hear people say, some part of me has died. Whether we're talking about the physical death of somebody, and, uh, or as Kate's bringing up here, um, the end of a relationship, in, in, in both of those cases, you know, people will say, it feels like a part of me has died. So yeah, you will go through those same stages in different ways to different degrees, but yeah, definitely. And thank you. Wonderful question, Kate. Appreciate you being here in what must be uh, evening for you. I think, uh, what, in London, it's probably about quarter after 10 at night. Patricia Vega. Hello, Patricia from Los Angeles. She says, Aloha, Michael and Doreen. It's been two and a half years since both of my parents passed. This has been a great show, and I think 
Show's not really the right word. Thank you for your words. Yeah, I call it a show sometimes because I'm just in the habit of it. I like to think of it more as a class, but sometimes I slip and call it a, a show also. Learning should be entertaining, right? And uh, Tony in uh, Hollywood says, Hi, Michael, just tuning in. I have a question from a few shows back. I missed out getting to you. Hopefully you can help me out with this. Uh, how do you protect yourself from being taken advantage of in business without questioning people's motives or being cynical, at least to some degree? Uh, thank you. How do you protect yourself from being taken advantage of? Boy, Tony, I could do a whole class on that, and maybe I will. Um, I would say the short answer for you, given given that this is sort of off-topic, but I'm happy that you brought it up. I think to be as concise and direct as possible, I would suggest that you look at your tendency to be a, be a people pleaser. I don't know that you are or are not. Um, but those of us who have an exaggerated need to please people, are setting ourselves up to be taken advantage of and manipulated by them. The problem is that we then fixate on why would they do that to us, when what we need to do is shift our attention to the self and why are you setting yourself up? Why is it difficult for you to assert yourself? Why is it so hard to say, no, I can't do that for you? You know, I wish I could, but I can't. Or, yeah, I could do this uh, as a rush job, but I'm going to have to charge a, a 20% premium. Okay? Otherwise, uh, you get what you pay for, and uh, I wish I could do that for you, but I just can't. And you make good eye contact, you know. Um, again, I, I, I think that's the best short answer I can give you. I suspect that most of the time, when we feel we're being taken advantage of, the only mistake here is to try to figure it out by studying the person that's doing the, the that's doing the manipulating. We do that in uh, relationships when there's a fight, you know, uh, and uh, argument, a, a disagreement. We obsess on know the other person when the feelings that need to be understood are yours, and the proper thing to do is know thyself. Uh, but we don't do that. We don't tend to do that. It, it takes practice and consciousness and, and a willingness to deliberately intervene on behalf of yourself and say, wait a minute, these are my feelings. Why am I obsessing on my partner, even though they caused the hurt? They stimulated it, but it came out of me. It's my hurt. Maybe I should try to understand myself. Same thing in this situation, I think. If you feel you're being taken advantage of and thinking of protecting yourself, like how do I put a wall around me? What kind of a shield do I use? I, I, I just think you need to turn it around, buddy, and and take responsibility, be accountable for being perhaps at times too much of a people pleaser, being over-the-top kind, over-the-top generous. And 
nothing wrong with being kind and generous. We promote that all the time. But when it's excessive, it's like a way of saying, my best isn't good enough, so I have to do more. My best isn't good enough, so I need to agree to these ridiculous terms that I end up regretting and and, and, and getting upset that I agreed to do this for this guy. I don't know what I was thinking. Well, what you might be thinking is that your best isn't good enough. Are you a people pleaser? Is it difficult for you to assert yourself? And can you develop your self-esteem so that you can look somebody in the eye directly with your shoulders back and a smile on your face and say, I'd love to be able to do that for you, but I can't. <laughs> Pains me to have to say it, but uh, I just can't do that. Right? That kind of assertiveness uh, requires good, healthy self-esteem. And it will build respect with clients, friends, customers, and others. Actually, it's a wonderful thing. All right, uh, let's uh, check the phone people anymore one more time and see if we have hands up. We don't. A lot of folks on the phone now. I can see the cities in most cases, though I don't see the names. Uh, let's do the uh, visualization exercise, okay? And I've already got, uh, what, about 18 minutes after the hour. So settle in, sit back. Want you to sit up straight, but not rigid, simply balanced. Uh, take a few slow, deep breaths and feel yourself beginning to relax. Muscles relaxing, muscles unwinding. Create and sense in your body a feeling of letting go. as if you're softening like butter on a warm day. Let go of your resistance. Let go of the struggle and accept the reality of your life, your situation. That's right. Accept the reality of your situation. If you're going to do anything about it, you've got to accept where you are now. So accept who you are, where you've come. Accept more than you've ever accepted responsibility for in the past. Become totally accountable and responsible for your life. For whether you created every little bit of it or whether you were a co-creator with others. You're always responsible that is able to choose a response. Even if there were such a thing as a victim and you're blindsided by circumstances or events, you still can rally and choose to initiate your best response. So as you breathe and relax, you give up helplessness. And you drop your victimization and any belief 
that there may be some advantage to you in playing helpless victim. Remind yourself that you cause your life. Be cause. Whether you initiate something brand new out of whole cloth, or whether you substitute conscious responses for knee-jerk reactions, you choose the response, and you choose to initiate that response, to put it into effect, to be an actor rather than a reactor, to be cause rather than effect. And if you haven't already, I'd like you to just allow yourself to breathe naturally and normally. Allow your breath to find its own rhythm, its own cadence. Just watch it for a minute. Move your attention gently from where it resides normally to the bottom of your nose and watch the natural ebb and flow of your breathing for a moment or two as a way of continuing to relax and feel even safer as a way to focus your attention gently and effortlessly And as a way of creating the awareness that you need not micromanage your life, let it go. Your life will go on. Release the fear that you must micromanage every moment of every day, pursuing your thoughts, having to make decisions, constantly writing and editing and reconstructing every hour of every day and instead practice now just being. I'd have you consider that many of us have at times a false sense of self-importance. We're afraid if we relax for even a minute or two and just sit quietly that the world will stop turning or our lives will begin to crumble and fall apart. But in fact, when we just relax and sit quietly, effortlessly and peacefully, Life goes on, and you breathe without even having to think about breathing. It's handled for you, and your heart beats, and your blood flows, 
blood pressure, body temperature, regulated, constantly monitored, without you having to think about it at all. There's really nothing you need to think about right now. Except your ability to stop thinking, to be at peace. Oh, it's likely there'll be, in addition to listening to my voice, some response to my voice inside your head. But if we can go from six or eight voices demanding our attention, normal, wide awake, to four voices, to three voices, maybe to an inner dialogue, and then maybe just one monologue, if you could get that quiet inside your head, doesn't it make sense you could know yourself better and understand yourself better? And in this place, feel your feelings fully and completely. Feel the feelings you understand, all the love-based, so-called positive feelings, are feelings that represent things you understand about yourself. What is lovable about you? What is kind about you? What is generous about you? In what ways are you tolerant and forgiving and patient and kind and compassionate? You want more love and joy and happiness in your life? Understand yourself better and better. And yet in these levels of deep relaxation, call this a meditation or a contemplation, an introspection, or a reflection exercise, a pondering or a ruminating You close your eyes and create and sense deep relaxation and safety. You can explore your anger without being angry. You can investigate fully and completely your heartache without feeling nearly the pain that you would feel if you resisted experiencing the heartache. That's when it hurts. All of our negative feelings hurt most when we push them away. They need to get through. They need to deliver the message. In this case, today's class, grief, loss, mourning, the message is there's grief and loss and mourning, someone you love has died. And you need to comprehend that, to let that in, to understand it, to grok it fully and completely. And if you push it away, it gets stronger so as to come through. And if you resist even more by refusing to cry, by refusing to write, journal, Speak by refusing to feel your feelings and numbing yourself with alcohol, drugs, or being a workaholic or other distractions. You're forcing that pain 
It becomes stronger and stronger if it's going to be received and accepted. So accept it. Let it in. Receive it fully. The depth and the breadth of your hurt, your loss, your pain, your suffering, feel it fully. Cry about it. Laugh about it. Sing about it. Yell about it. Express your feelings verbally and in any other way possible. If you dance, then dance a dance of loss and grief. If you paint, paint a painting of mourning, loss, and grief. If you sing, write a song. Don't you see? It needs expression. Let it out. Eric Clapton's song, Tears in Heaven came from the tragic death of his five-year-old boy. Express it. Let it out. Feel it fully and completely. Move through it. And then release it. Don't push it away. You just make it worse. Right? Let it swallow you up. And you'll come out the other side redeemed. Better. Yes, your heart was broken, but it'll reassemble itself in a new and improved version, a greater capacity to hold, to channel, to rebroadcast and emanate ever more love. Just as a mind once expanded by a new idea never returns to its original, narrower shape. So it is also that a heart once stretched by grief and loss or even broken in a million pieces as it heals exceeds its previous capacity. And you now are more loving, more kind, more compassionate, and a better person when you grieve well and celebrate the life and honor the loss of this person and the role they played, loved, loving, and lovable in your life. Remembering that while the form, the being, can be lost, can die, can decompose, the love and the light that animated and illumined them. The soul, if you will. The, the love lives forever. Feel it now. Consider those you've lost. And feel now the eternal and infinite presence of that love. Everyone and everything you've ever loved available to you if you but permit it but allow it forevermore imagine yourself like a dry sponge soaking up that love until you feel full and filled and fulfilled warm and radiant loved and loving and lovable Loved by those who are living in form, loved by those who have lived and 
passed on during your life, loved by those who have yet to incarnate, who have yet to be, maybe still unborn, who will love you. Experience yourself loved, loving, and lovable, for this is eternal. This you do take with you when you die. He who dies with the most love wins. Put that on the bumper of your car. And ponder the way in which loving others and loving self is the same thing. For love knows no direction. It's everywhere equally present. Love knows no time or space. It's infinite and eternal. Love is truth. Love is wisdom. Love is consciousness. Conscious energy. Conscious mass. Conscious spirit, conscious matter, conscious father, conscious mother, conscious self, son, daughter. You are the offspring, you are the consciousness, you are the love at the interface of spirit and matter. If you happen to be at this time in your life in the midst of a grieving, take a moment to be kind to yourself, to forgive yourself, to understand there are stages of grief, that what you've been going through is very, very, very likely to be a natural and normal process. Listen to this program again, the streaming audio or as a podcast. Repeat this visualization exercise. Face fully and completely. Face, even embrace what hurts and what frightens you. You'll be free from it and a better person for it. I'd like you to prepare to bring yourself back to the waking state by Feeling the cushion that supports you, the chair, the sofa, the floor, the pillow. Feel the floor beneath your feet. Remember what you'll see as you, in a moment, finally open your eyes. Bring with you the truth that you've accepted about the way you feel right now. As you take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhale. Hold for a moment as you peek, and then exhale slowly. And when you're ready, open your eyes, wide awake, back in the room, alert, refreshed, rested, feeling fine, feeling better than before, maybe a little tender. (laughs) That can happen. Maybe a little tender. But I think you understand the whole idea here. 
Well, I want to thank uh, all of you for uh, for being with us and uh, for participating. Those of you who had questions and comments, and keep in mind the podcast. You can forward those to your friends, and of course our premium audio program at focusedpassion.com. Subscribe for just three ninety six a month, or get a sample podcast, ten programs, ten of our favorite programs, absolutely free at the iTunes store. Um, For now, I mentioned the other podcast directories earlier in the program today. Uh, This class, this Ageless Wisdom Mystery School class, is available at all those directories. Right now, uh, you'll have to go to the iTunes store to get Empower Yourself in Paradise, the free podcast version, 10 sample programs, of our premium audio, Finding Yourself in Paradise. Look for Empower Yourself in Paradise. Just type in my name, or Steve Snyder, or um, I think that's probably the easiest way to do it, right? Or um, you could you could try typing in Finding Yourself in Paradise or Empower Yourself in Paradise, but it's probably easier if you just put in my name. And you'll see this class, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, will pop up. Uh, Breakthrough Radio, which is a simulcast of this, will pop up. And then you'll see Empower Yourself in Paradise, 10 sample podcast programs of our premium audio. And if you like it, well, subscribe for three ninety six a month at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, that's the W's dot FocusedPassion.com. In the meantime, join our social net at theagelesswisdom.ning.com. We're up to about 106 people. We just started a couple of months ago, and a few people are starting to post discussion threads and uh, introduce themselves to each other. They're filling out their profiles. They're customizing the appearance of their home page. It's starting to happen. Hey, it's all free to sign up and sign in. It's like Facebook for people that are in the metaphysics and mysticism and such. The Ageless Wisdom Social Net. It's a lot like my website, theagelesswisdom.com. You just add the Ning, the N-I-N-G, before the com, so it would be the w's.theagelesswisdom.ning.com. Check it out, sign up, sign in, and uh, make some new friends. It's a great way to stay in touch. And you should be getting the newsletter by now every Friday, too. If not, signing up for Ning will be a way of ensuring you get our weekly newsletter as well. So thanks a ton for being here. hope you have a wonderful day today. Enjoy the rest of August. It will be September next Sunday when we get together for our next class in the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha. From Maui.